Hello and welcome to Nobody Meet Somebody, the podcast where two comedians who are currently nobody meet somebody who is famous. My name is Mary Picarazzi. And I am Tanvi Darora. All right. Today's episode, we got to talk with comedian Joe DeVito. He's a New York comedian who's been seen on Comedy Central, Last Comic Standing, The Late Late Show, just to name a few. His new YouTube special is Dating Over 40 is like thrift shop, thrift store shopping. Man, I can't say that fast. I knew you uh, messed it up. <laughs> I dropped on YouTube just about a month ago and already has over a million views. So this is a phenomenal special. You definitely want to check it out. Uh, we had a blast talking with him. Oh, yeah, it is great. It is super, super great. Uh, before we get into the episode, uh, yes. We started doing a new segment called Weird Facts. Mm-hmm. And I've got a weird fact. Are you ready for that? Hit me. So you talked about Steve Jobs last time. And I was yeah. like, who is the Steve Jobs of now? It's, and I had, to, I had to Google about him. Elon Musk is who I'm talking about. Um, did you know that when he was in college in the University of Pennsylvania, uh, he lived off campus with a bunch of his friends they used to rent out big ass house, and then every night they would turn it into a nightclub to get rent, and they would have as many as a thousand people drop in every single night. Imagine the amount of money this guy has been making since like he was a kid. <laughs> that is ridiculous. You imagine the neighbors on that? A thousand people. I mean, in this post-COVID world, that's like non-existent now. There's no way that's going to happen. But imagine, okay, this is me being the person that I am. Imagine You're getting into technicalities, up. right? <laughs> well, yeah, the logistics. You imagine having to clean up after a thousand people, then have the house turned around and ready the next day. And in the meantime, hey, I'm going to school also because I'm a slight genius. Okay, hey, hey, hey. I, I don't think so. They, they cared about that. I think the house was just exactly. in a mess all the time. And low lights, <laughs> no one cared about it. They that were probably always done. My question is, the parking, how did you manage that in a neighborhood? Well, how far was it from campus? I don't know. Google said off campus. That's it. Because if it's close enough, they because like, you know, like uh, College Station, right? Yeah, they have shuttle. Think... They have shuttle off campus. I wonder if they could that's have shuttled... Fair shuttle there and then use the school system to ferry their thousand people i'm just wondering i gotta google more how much did he charge like per cost per person I mean, even, even, imagine what well, are they providing the alcohol or is he providing the alcohol i uh, gotta ask you hold on yeah, let me call him. <laughs> you know ask him ask him but was it a byob because then that would be like five dollars plus bring your own alcohol he's just making cover right there True. That's a lot, though. That is definitely a lot. <laughs> Every night? Every what, what single night. What school did he go to? What school did you he know, go to? Pennsylvania. You Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. That's right. Yeah. Dutchland, yeah. Dutchland. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of how much money he made, I also read one thing about him was uh, his company, Tesla, his mm-hmm. paycheck from Tesla. Guess, guess, guess the amount. Not his paycheck. Just from Tesla. Just Tesla yeah. annually? Yeah. Uh, let's say a million and a half. No. For less than $40,000. And he doesn't even cash it. He doesn't care about Tesla. He cares about SpaceX. Wow. That's the show. Can yeah, you imagine? <laughs> Just imagine. 
forty thousand is like, ugh, I've got to go and cash it and go through the process of get. I'm not gonna bother. And he could have know. it deposited <laughs> into his account. He could have That's it. Exactly my point. And when they accepted, <laughs> like he refuses to just kind of click that button that says accept, or maybe just. I don't know. I don't know how it Auto works. enroll. Like, does he? Yeah. Is he still filling out his W two by hand? Like, could be. <laughs> and it's very interesting, though, that uh, I read about that that he rented his house like the like every night. He would turn it into a nightclub, and the fact that just recently didn't he sell his house? Like he said, he's not gonna all his possessions and stuff. Yeah. Well, he had his baby. You know, X Y Z R W whatever. And then that's not the right name. Him. You're not pronouncing it right. <laughs> Yeah, I like how I like how they t- came out to explain it, and it made it even more complicated. Like it made even less sense. Like just how come many out YouTube and mess videos up. Are there? <laughs> just admit you jacked up the name, fix it, and move on. And we would have forgotten about it. But no, let me stick to X Y Z or W one four, whatever it is. Whatever. It'll be an over the air update when he's ten years old. <laughs> Isn't it a girl? Oh well, there'll be an old air update when she is ten years old. She'll be old enough to make up her own name. Then we'll That's be okay. Oh, baby, But he's got like five kids, so this is not obviously yeah, his first. Though. Right. That's, oh well. Oh. Well, I guess he's providing, cool. so I guess we can't judge that, right? Yeah, that actually, I, I used to do this joke about Elon Musk that uh, he has so many kids. And it, this is a true fact. In his interview, he was asked, like, why does he have so many kids? And this is this was his exact words. He said, let's face it, my IQ is like way more than an average human being. And the world needs more people like me. So this is like my gift to humanity. He wow. said these words. And then when my mom asked me, like, you, you're 33 years old and you don't have any kids, what's up with that? I was like, mom, you and I both know I'm dumb as fuck. Is this, <laughs> our, is this our gift to humanity? Like, what are you, you going to do? Like, <laughs> Well, just know Elon's always giving. Not the 40000 but he's always giving. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All, All right. right. I think we're ready. Are you ready? I am super ready. Let's do this. All right. Let's talk to Joe. Hi, Joe. How are you doing? Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. You're out in New York, right? Yes, I'm in uh, Long Island, New York, in the suburbs. Okay, okay. We'll talk about Long Island. I love Long Island. Uh, but first question we ask every guest is, how is quarantine life treating you? Well, uh, let's see. Um, I've decided, I, I actually had shaved my beard off for quarantine. I was going against the grain. And <laughs> I've let this come in for a few days. And I... Uh, I realize there's a, a not a lot of difference between someone who looks homeless and someone who has not left their home. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of crossover. Oh, a lot of similarities there. Mm. <laughs> well, right. so I guess we'll get the big question out of the okay. kind of the big elephant out of the room. Uh, mm. Everyone's dying to know who's going to be watching this episode. Okay. Are you related to Joe to Danny DeVito? I am not. <laughs> there's a lot of DeVitos, and <laughs> funny you should ask. Uh, yesterday in the YouTube comment section on my special, I got into an argument with a woman who was insisting that I was Danny DeVito's son. That she she had some inside information that I didn't have. <laughs> so she posted, she posted, well, you know who his father is? And she put up the bio of Danny DeVito. And I replied, said, well, actually, that's that's incorrect. And she said something like, well, I don't know. I saw it on the internet. 
The internet never I wouldn't be surprised that actually, um, if you go to Wikipedia and uh, put in your name, there was, mm-hmm. someone would have done it. I'm pretty sure someone. I, and that's, yeah. Okay. How often do people ask you this question, though? And does it well, like, bother your, you a lot? Well, to your point, I've had to remove it from my own Wikipedia page several times. <laughs> people will go, really? in, will go in and add that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you people that they... I don't know. Maybe they've seen a DNA test that I'm not aware of, but it's, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't understand. Maybe you should just ask him. Are we related? <laughs> I should hit him up. I, it just shows you how, I don't understand why that's so mind blowing to anyone that what two people with the same last name, yeah. I, I, something's, there's a glitch in the matrix if this is happening. Well, they must um, never have been to the South because that's kind of a common thing, right? <laughs> Well, you know, there's a DeVito's not an uncommon name. So, yeah, I messed um I, I messed with relative frequency now that I somehow are, you know, I'm on the periphery of the entertainment business. Um I don't mind people asking. I think it's the, if they want to argue after. That's the part I don't really like. <laughs> they just refuse to take your answer as being the the authority on it. Yes. <laughs> the end of story after that. There are uh, quite a few Joe DeVito's though. Uh fortunately, I've clawed my way to the top of the Google searches, but there is a Joe DeVito, uh, a comic book artist. There's a Joe DeVito who worked for MTV as a producer. And there's a Joe DeVito who's an R-rated hypnotist, the erotic hypnotic. Go on. Yes, yes. Yeah, you can't just leave it there and say, he's the erotic hypnotic. Good night. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, <laughs> he, he also performs in comedy clubs. And there have been times where... Uh, I remember doing a show years ago and they had put up his, his photo and he's in his photo. He has a ponytail and like lightning coming out of his hands. It's, it's not me. It's make that clear. It's not my kind of vibe. And at the end of the show, someone said, Oh, you're really funny. But we kept waiting for you to hypnotize us. <laughs> so, and what I said, maybe I did. And then I, I snuck out of the room. What would the erotic part be on that, though? They were just waiting for just regular hypnosis? Like, they didn't even read the whole... Yeah, that's interesting that someone could sit through 45 minutes of my act and at the end think, but I, I, I still want a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't lost any weight. <laughs> yeah. Like, you didn't take the shirt off one time. I'm very disappointed. Yeah, you know, I don't think I'm a chicken in the slightest. Uh, it's, you know, it it's, there's, there's so many things that I've learned that People's thoughts, it's like their brain runs out of gas, that their thoughts will take them a certain distance, and then it just, they can't get that next. Like, I had someone look me up, contact my management at the time, and send me a package in the mail asking if I could give them some signed artwork, thinking I was the comic book artist. But they clearly had gone through all these steps where it was me, the comedian, and they still didn't realize it was a different person. So I resisted the temptation to send them like a bloody handprint with my signature <laughs> scrawled on it. You should have done that. You should have. Yeah. Oh, that that would have made the internet for a totally different reason, though. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so your new special that already has like a million views, more than a million views, and yeah. it's just counting and counting. How, how how does it feel and how did it grow? Like, was it just day one and it was like 1 million, day one was like 10,000? Just tell us a little more about it. Sure. Well, it's it's been a very strange experience. Uh, I recorded this special for a company called Dry Bar Comedy at, at the beginning of the summer last year. And they're called Dry Bar because they're recorded in Provo, Utah, 
which is Mormon country, uh, and they appeal to Christian audiences. At the time, they were owned by a company called VidAngel that provided Christian mm-hmm. entertainment. So the specials had to be clean and not have um, material that dealt with uh, you know drinking and anything that would be controversial and all that. But because I can work clean and I was recommended, I thought, oh, all right, this seems fun. And it was a good time. They treated me well. Um, and at the time, they would put up promo clips to drive traffic to the Dry Bar app. So it came out. I had some good clips they put up on YouTube. It had, I think, between the three clips, close to maybe half a million views. I was happy with it. But then in, I guess, July of this year, they just started putting the entire specials on YouTube. And it it was very strange to see it getting so many views that every time I refreshed, it was like watching a ticker roll. Nice. So it's now over a million views on YouTube, and I think it just crossed two million on Facebook. Wow. So it's a, it's a nice surprise um, to have that happening during the lockdown when uh, comedians, we really were not able to work that much. So it was, it's nice to have that and hopefully that momentum will lead to something else. Yeah, that that's awesome. So obviously, you know, Tanvir and I are, are nobody mm-hmm. comedians, we like to say, right? So let's go a little bit more into that on the actual recording. Was that a, a kind of a one and done show that you just did one recording? Or was that multiple nights that were kind of spliced together to make the actual special? Uh, what they did was they flew me out and we did two shows on a Saturday night. And they would mix them together. And my experience with things like that has been... Uh, you know, I think back to when I recorded my album in 2015 and I recorded an EP with two other comics. You want to have those multiple shows. Uh, and usually what happens is there's one show where you nail it. And then the show after is kind of gravy. You get to relax, maybe try a different alternate version. This time I didn't nail it at the early show. Oh, so all the pressure was on. The yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the pressure was on because I, I made a miscalculation because I thought, um, well, you know, Sebastian Maniscalco has blown up and he's done it his way. And I thought, you know, I really would love to have some of my Italian family stuff go virtual or viral, rather. And as I'm saying it, the other voice in my head is saying, why are you talking about Italian food in Provo, Utah? <laughs> they have no, and I could tell they had no idea what I was talking about. So I, I had to make those adjustments, but. It was it was a good feeling after the second show to 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 have that relief that oh okay it they're going to get forty quality minutes out of this but it's okay. it's always a little stressful and it was at that place had you performed there prior to the special no they actually record the specials in their offices they have it they they this goes to show you how we're so used to New York real estate where you don't have room for anything. In Provo, Utah, their office building is so large, they've set up essentially a fake comedy club studio. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. So it was um, it was pretty funny. I was glad I went out the day early because they, I checked into the hotel and they said, listen, our host for tonight's tapings is sick. Do you want to host? And I said, sure. I'd, I'd love to come in and get a feel for the room. Yeah. And it was fun. The joke that I enjoyed the most of the whole weekend, which didn't get to the special but it was that night there was a group of five women sitting together and you know doing crowd work and I said was this ladies night and they said just getting away from her husbands and I thought 
if I don't say this now, I'll never get another chance. So I said, oh, this is Provo. So you could be all getting away from the same husband. <laughs> and it got a big laugh. It got a big laugh. So what? I thought, ooh, roll the dice and win on that one. Because I think, I think no matter how the taping had gone the next day, I could picture myself on the plane home thinking, I should have made that polygamy joke. <laughs> so I made That's the right every call. Every comedian's worst nightmare about making that polygamy joke. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I'm sure uh, you've both had that experience of you, you, you stroll up thinking, where do they get a load of this line? And then <laughs> thud, oh. and you have oh. to stand there. Probably mm. I, 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 would have been questioning. <laughs> yeah, utter silence. Yeah. I mean, we we're talking about that before we started recording. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's just interesting to hear, though, because most of the time when you do a special, you know, artists want to pick a, a place or a venue that's sort of like a home mm. or someplace that they want to highlight for a special. So it's interesting to see that this was kind of a pretty much you had one day to get used to the area and then shoot the special and then have a, literally a million point two people watch it on the, in the internet. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's wild. There's definitely no home field advantage, but uh, well, let me ask you questions. How, how long have you two been performing? I've been only been doing this about a year, but this is a, okay. About four four, years. Yeah. Okay. So you may be able to relate to this. I think when you first start performing, you're excited to have your friends and coworkers and family come see you. And once you get a couple months in, you don't want them anywhere near the yep. stage. Nope. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You think they've heard they've heard me tell these same jokes over and over again. Um, right. Whatever beginner's luck you've had has evaporated. Right. And now you're just up there learning how to take punches for the next three or four years. <laughs> you, you really don't exactly, need that yeah. to be the conversation around the water cooler the next day. Well, to so. be fair, if you don't get family to show up at, that far into your, <laughs> into your set, like after the first month, yeah. it's like, oh, you're still doing that. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, you know, and I have to say, um, any skepticism from, skepticism from friends and loved ones about pursuing comedy, it's completely justified. They are correct. <laughs> if, if you tell the people in your life you've decided to do stand-up comedy, there's they should have an intervention, let alone encouraging <laughs> that. So this is my midlife yeah. crisis. Yeah, mm. I've been wanting that, and all my friends are pretty supportive. And I'm like, no, no, just bring me down, like <laughs> do something. I need to have Tanvir's friends. I need to have Tanvir's friends. My family yeah. has zero problem telling me this is a very bad idea for you. Yeah, then they're right. <laughs> and, and, I seen your <laughs> and I'm rooting for you. Do you understand? <laughs> one of the, uh, one of the, I think it was the first road weekend I did was at a club in Atlantic city. And I got to open for Judy gold, who is hilarious and has been doing it for, for many years. And after the show, my parents had come down to see me and my, my father was so thrilled. And he, he said to Judy, any, any advice you'd have for uh, an up and coming new comic? And she looked at him and she said, yeah, he's smart. Get out now. <laughs> Stop doing this now. And I and we it was one of those things we were like, ha ha. Would you give that advice to comedians now? To to I, younger comics that you that are in the scene starting out? I think with the the way things are so crazy now, a, a good part of it in terms of people pursuing stand-up is that it's even harder than it was before. So that might weed out some people who aren't serious, or it even would save them a lot of trouble. Uh, when I started in 2001, stand-up was at a kind of a low point. It wasn't a cool thing. If you told people you're doing stand-up comedy, they would roll their eyes. It was kind of a gross out. And I was one of those people, too. 
until I started, I thought, oh, it's, it seems like a kind of a desperate thing to do. Uh, so when my friends and I, when we would get together at open mics, it was all based on you just wanted to have a good set. You, you wanted everyone to do well and your jokes to make sense. And then I'd say 10 years later, I started to hear people showing up at open mics talking about their set for Montreal and getting an agent. And they didn't have two jokes to rub together. So <laughs> I would be, I think it would be better for comedy if those people found something else to do because you really have to be obsessed and want this very badly. You can't do it as a rational career choice. That's fair. I, I my favorite is when people have their merchandise planned out before they have their set planned out. Oh, I used to see some amazing business cards. Full color. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, how long have you been doing this? And they say, well I haven't done it yet. And I say, well your your card is amazing. <laughs> Those, the, I don't know if you ever saw the, the the cards and flyers. They would look like um, like those old uh, death row CD covers. Like <laughs> they, they'd be all blinged out, and multiple people nice. from profiles and throwing Photoshop stacks of money at people. And you'd think this this guy's at the open mic with me. What? <laughs> it's like, oh, how, what shows have you done? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. it's certainly not a show I had experience with. That's for sure. <laughs> So this brings me to this question that so you started doing comedy in your 30s, right? Yeah. And you were a journalist before that. What, so what made you jump into this? Like, what was your moment? Oh. Um, besides well, insanity. Besides mental illness. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a given. But <laughs> That played more of a facilitating role. That's more what keeps you doing it. <laughs> that's so true. There's a lot that's of so reasons for starting it. You... um. You know, I have a joke where I say I didn't get into stand-up to get rich and famous, and so far, mission accomplished. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I worked as a journalist. I, my main career path was I was writing promotional copy. I was writing ads and marketing material, and I was bored, and I started writing a column, a humor column, which is what I'd done in college, for a magazine that they gave out for free in strip clubs. So I was aiming high right off the bat. All right. Uh, that's and why they take hypnosis, right? Okay. Yeah, well, there's a yeah, lot of big right, readers. There's a lot of big it, readers in the strip club, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had to be the only person in a strip club thinking, go something I can read. It's what, what a dork I am. With the low lighting, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I am so bored here. I need yeah. something. <laughs> Do you mind? I'm trying to, trying to educate myself. So, yeah, so this column would run. I wrote it under a pseudonym, and it would be right across from the escort ads and, and all this stuff. But I could write about anything I wanted. It didn't have to be about sex or whatever. and I started to send those around to friends of mine and one day after work telling stories about my family with my coworkers and everyone's laughing. I mean, I always liked being funny. Uh, one of my friends from work said, you have to try stand up comedy. So we're going to sign up for a class and I'm going to take it to make sure that you go. And it was a class. I think it was three sessions in a graduation show. So it was almost, and, and I remember even before the class being in the club bathroom, throwing up, I was, so anxious. I used to have the worst stage fright, but I survived the graduation show, and I and I thought, oh, this is this is interesting. How I could write something that if you read it, you'd laugh, but to go up and say it was completely different, and and that intrigued me. And then about two years of doing that, and I thought, I I think I want to take a run at this, and I ended up getting laid off from my corporate job, and thought, okay, this is the kick in the ass. So I. I freelanced as a writer for a couple of years. Um, I guess it was 
around the end of 2005, I'd done Montreal. I'd done a little thing on Comedy Central. Um, I was running out of money. And I remember waking up thinking, I'm going to have to get a real job. <laughs> and someone who used to report to me called me up and said, hey, we need a freelance writer where I work. You interested? And I did that for a few months, saved my money. I did last comic standing, made it to the semifinals. And I have not... Uh, comedy has been my life since 2006. That's how long it's been. 2006 was when I did last comic standing. So it was um, five years and then I was able to go full time. So looking back, that was, that's pretty sweet progress. That was great progress. Yeah. I'm still waiting for that moment. <laughs> oh, you, said, you said you're how long in? I'm only a year in. So. A year. So, you know, yeah. uh, you don't even but know I, what you don't know I'm, yet. Don't... Oh, I'm older, Joe. Okay, I I I feel kinship with you because I did start in my 30s, late yeah. 30s. So, not to age myself, but yeah, like I am late 30s. So I see when you start seeing how younger the the crowd is getting and and the the newer comics coming in, mm. it's like whoo, kind of really feel that fire under you to keep moving faster. You know, like you need to do it more fast, yeah. do it quicker. But you really just cannot rush the lessons that you need to learn in stand up. And then now with COVID, it's even harder to get that to get that yeah. information, that feedback loop, you know? That's tough. Well, that was always the main benefit of coming up through New York City was the sheer amount of stage time you could pack in. Um, when I started to work the road, that was one of the first things I noticed was that I'd be talking to one of the other acts who would have some good stuff, you know, not quite there, but funny. And I would say, oh, how long have you been doing it? And they would say, oh, 14 years. And you'd think, geez, like, this is like someone who's been doing it three years in New York City. But in New York City, as an open micer, if you hustle, you can get on stage between three, five times every night, or at least you right. used to be able to. So again, it's a tough time to be starting. Well, now you can go in the park, maybe do a couple of park shows. I, I've done some park shows. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they were they were fun. I don't know if it's because they were that great or because we were all just dying to get up <laughs> and perform again. Because you know, you know how comics were so pathetic like this constant need for strangers to tell us we're okay i mean i'm, I'm now i'm yelling at people in a park is this is this what it's come to <laughs> yes yes that's exactly what it's come to half the time we're just yelling at zoom people now so yeah i yeah. always wonder what my neighbors think because with the headphones <laughs> on they're just hearing my side of whatever it is <laughs> idiotic conversations he's really losing it and here's, once again, just the comedian. You think they're actually listening to your conversation. Again, it's that combination of self-loathing and self-absorption. They're just turning the yeah. TV higher. They don't they want to hear Dynasty or Knott's Landing or whatever yeah. else going on. They don't even know that I live here. So, again, I'm flattering myself. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned you're from uh, Long Island. Long Island has, has had a fantastical scene in the comedy mm. world. Um, you've had the likes of like Seinfeld go through and yeah. you know, just tons of artists, tons of them. How much has the scene changed now where a lot of clubs are really struggling to stay open? Even before COVID, they yeah. really were struggling to stay open. Um, yeah, it's been tough because the, the three main clubs out here, um, the, the club governors is the big one and the, the right. same people own the other two. They were really building uh, a great vibe out here. And, you know, in New York, they, they, they were able to do outdoor shows for a while and then they retooled. And for, I think about two weeks, they were able to do indoor shows. And I did one of them where behind Plexi, it was very strange, but it was okay. And then the, our governor has shut down. Um, I, I think the way they say is you can't have ticketed entertainment. 
that if people were eating outside and there was oh. background music, that was okay. But they, you can't have entertainment that draws a crowd, which of course to me was, well, then he's clearly not familiar with stand-up comedy. <laughs> How about material that, that re- entertainment that repels the crowd? <laughs> but we've done some. So, so it's tough. I mean, uh, they're hanging in there. They're just kind of w- trying to wait it out. I- I'm more concerned about the clubs in New York City um, because they kind of need to be packed to work. Revenue. Yeah. Right. yeah. 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 Are there been clubs that have been like shut down? Because we keep hearing like in Texas and Austin and Dallas, mm. there have been clubs that just have shut down forever. Yeah, well, Cap City in Austin—that's yeah, a real—that's exactly. a—that's a tremendous loss. I mean, that is that was yeah. a great club that yeah. uh, you know I performed there years ago. And everyone was telling me you're going to love it, you're going to love it, and that's you know it sucks and it's a real drag because when businesses close. It's not just a business. It's someone's dream. It's the yes. hours that people put in there. And, and, and right. in a place like that, it's the history. Yep. So, yeah, it's a, it's a real drag. I don't know how we're going to bounce back from this. I think um, the nature of stand-up comedy is going to change. I, I'm hoping that as live entertainment comes back, because stand-up comedy is the easiest to pull off, maybe we'll be at the head of that line, but... I don't know how you do a Broadway show, whether there's two people in the audience or 2,000. You still need the full cast, the crew, yeah. the tech and people. And equipment, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of our previous guests was uh, Liz Mealy out in New York. Yeah, uh, yeah. so she even – she even she's like, I would say, one of the hardest hustlers out there trying to get her comedy out there. Yeah. And she – her feeling is that it's going to take over a year once everything dies down to even get close to normal. Like, that's that's a lot a lot of time. And, I, you know, we see her Instagram, of course, you know, mm. you're in the parks, you're trying to figure out what to do here in Texas. Uh, Tambir and I are both in Texas. We don't really have as many outdoor venues as yeah. New York does. So it's definitely been a struggle to get shows opening and moving. So which yeah, is I, weird. I we have a lot of land we should have a yeah. lot of outdoor yeah. stuff. We have a lot of Thank cows. Have a lot of cows. <laughs> they yeah. apparently are not big on our jokes. I don't know. Well, you do have the space. That's, that's a legit point. Uh, I remember years ago working at the club that used to be in San Antonio. Um, yeah, it so wasn't right. the. It was the, the. It was the, the. No, it wasn't the the one in the mall. Not, L- not LOL. Okay. Which that one I worked. Yeah, it wasn't the Riverwalk one. It was the other other LOL, I Not guess. Her. Right. Yeah. 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 I guess that's what it, that one was called. And it seems like a silly thing as a New Yorker, but walking to kill time during the day and seeing how all of your stores were twice as like you're the best guy <laughs> look like the pentagon so like, we just every parking space was gigantic so i thought well they really do have extra space here so but yeah that's true i mean i think clubs that could do indoor with social distance you've got a shot but in in new york city these clubs part of the experience is being shoulder to shoulder and Right. And they just, they can't, I don't know they're going to make enough money to, stay to do that. Yeah. So I, Yeah, because everyone knows rent is cheap in New York. Exactly. I mean, just to cover cover your expenses and to have your staff and to have menu items. It's, I don't know how they're going to do it. And it's, um, you know, I hate to say, I think I'm in a little bit of denial that the idea that things are, we're going to somehow wake up from this and it'll be back to the way it was. I think we have to let that go. We have to be prepared for. There's going to be some sort of new version of this and try and get ahead of that. So then you as a professional, 
does that prompt you to say, you know, hey, maybe this scene is not where it's at. I need to move to find a scene that makes that works for you. Like that, I mean, this is your full time yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Well, my backup plan is teaching stand up, so that's that's not really much of a plan B. <laughs> but who could who would have thought? You know, and it's but you can right. teach online. Everyone, I, could I have been. I've been doing the Zoom classes and all that. So, yeah, nice. uh, I mean, the good thing is I enjoy it. The hard thing is it's to to teach people to do something that is now so hard to pursue. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's going to be a big shift, not just in performing, but in in our society that small cities are, are going to be where the action is. I think the big cities are going to be they're going to be in trouble for quite a while. Um, I can't predict the future, but I think it could be a long time. It, yeah. it could be just as we're learning that a lot of businesses don't need to have you in the office. I think um, yeah. online entertainment, uh, TikTok, things things yeah. that as a grouchy older guy like I am, <laughs> I, I look at those and, you know, we used to make fun of stuff like that, but I think it's a lot how. I always used to say, why are people so obsessed with social media when they could be doing things in the real world? Well, now that we've been locked down for a couple of months, it's <laughs> the social media is the real world. The pictures were the vacation. The plate of food yeah. on Instagram is the meal. So yeah. I think how, all right, I'm rambling a little bit here, but bear with me. I, <laughs> we could edit that. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'll compare it to, I noticed that, well, I'm, I'm 51, and I noticed that people above 40, when we were talking about online dating, we would say online dating. And then I started to notice that people under 30 just called it dating. Yeah. So yeah. to them, the distinction between meeting someone in public and meeting them on Tinder, it was, it was now the same thing. It wasn't some facsimile version of that. So I think this facsimile kind of comedy on TikTok and Zoom, it's going to become its own thing. So yeah, that will happen. But the, I, I'm optimistic there will always be a place in human culture for live stand-up comedy. People need to go somewhere to laugh at someone who's speaking right in front of them. I don't think there's a substitute for that. You're so optimistic. I'm, I'm so negative. I'm just like, we're going to end all these Zoom people. are going to think they can go on stage and it's going to translate. And I'm going to stand there yeah. and just watch them bomb for 20 minutes because it, yeah. the skills don't translate. They're not the same. See, that might happen yeah. too, I think. Yeah. yeah. Initially, that You're might happen. You're so much nicer than I am. <laughs> oh, uh, don't get me wrong. I, I I will enjoy watching that too. That's great. The Schadenfreude. I always tell people if it weren't for shameful joy, I'd have no joy at all. <laughs> it's you know what it's like. Um, I, someone like me who's a monologist. I, I I used to not even move around at all, but I I'm very much a word guy. The delight I get when I see someone do a crazy physical bit that gets nothing and they have to peel themselves off the floor. I really enjoy that <laughs> because if I say something and you don't laugh, I always have the option of pretending that I didn't mean for you to laugh right there. <laughs> but someone who's done a somersault and a split and it, they're just laying there and no one's laughing. It's, it's nice. It's kind of negative validation. Do you have a heckler story to share? Like the worst heckler ever in your comedy career? <laughs> oh, hmm. Well, you know, hecklers are not, what most people think they are. It's not usually going back and forth with a guy from the back of the room. It's usually a bachelorette's table mm -hmm. yeah. or drunk. I hate to say, usually it's very often it's women who are there to chat and they're out of line. And, you know, and it's worse, I think, when it's women because <laughs> of the guy, you can just say, I'll just let this guy beat me up and it'll be over with. 
<laughs> or the women, you can't, you can't, you can't leap on them and start going at it. Um, this is not quite a heckler story, but it was a weird audience interaction. I used to have a series of jokes about people with one arm and yeah. it, it was a pretty long bit and it would go through first. I'd start talking about, um, the soul surfer. You remember Bethany Hamilton who got the arm bit off by the shark. And I would go from that and I would go into then the mountain climber who cut his arm off. And then I would go into the drummer for the band Def Leppard. It was, it was a lot to be talking about people with one arm. So I would go through these jokes. And then my obnoxious thing at the end was I would pause and I would go, oh, does anyone here have one arm? I should ask first. <laughs> so I say that and the table right in front of me, this woman sitting there goes, yeah, she does. And she points to her friend and this woman stands up and she has an arm that ends right around the elbow. And yeah. And the whole room of about 200 people that had just been howling, they complete silence. And they're all looking at me like, you got us into this. <laughs> get us out. <laughs> Let's see how you get us out. And it really was like a feeling when you're in an elevator and it drops between floors where you're, your body's moving one way and your insides are moving. And before I could say anything, uh, God bless her. The woman stood up and she was drunk and she went, Woo-hoo! like, and she waved her half arm and everyone started laughing. And I was like, wow, because that was, uh, that was not that deep into my comedy career where I think I could have talked my way out of it. So yeah. I'm inter- eternally in her debt that she was a good enough sport to do that because otherwise, how do I not say I'm being a jerk? <laughs> well, that, that also brings up a good point. So Dan Cummings, a special out on Amazon, yeah. he actually mentions this exact incident. He, was, he said something offensive, and it was about somebody who had one leg. And it's like it's the same yeah. thing as how dare you guys make the judgment for them, but they can't laugh at it. You're making it uncomfortable. Like, yeah, who? What if they thought it was funny? Just like the the lady in the other story, <laughs> she yeah. thought it was a hoot. You know. I think so, it shows you what wonderful people comics are that we have. We we have so much amputee material. <laughs> we really have nothing better to talk about than that. Uh, I, I will say this: you know, most of the times when someone has come up to me after a show to complain about a bit, it's hardly ever the bit you think it's going to be. It's, <laughs> you know, you go, well, you go up there thinking like, "I got this really obnoxious joke," and you'll do it, and maybe they'll groan, but they don't come up to you after. Um, but you'll say something that. We don't. We think is relatively benign, and then someone will come up to you after and say, "You know, we really don't think it's cool that you took." And you think, and of course, we're comics. We're like that joke. Like we're not. We have no concern for their feelings. We're like, really, that the bit. Like, that's the one you're giving feedback on. <laughs> yeah, and it's such a strange thing too, because that's another thing that would never occur to me. Uh, just as I would, it would never occur to me to post a negative comment about anything online. The idea that someone would come up to a performer after a show with a complaint, I, I don't Yeah. just leave. If I'm that odious, <laughs> like, don't interact with me. But I think when I've had, ex- I had a woman who was really giving me a hard time after a show about a joke that she clearly did not get the joke. And when I said to her, well, did you laugh? She said, absolutely not. And I said, well, then you've had your vote. That's the only right. vote you get. Yeah. And then I think some other comics came and kind of 
guided me away from her because they saw me starting to get a little heated. <laughs> That's probably a good idea. That's probably yeah. a good way to do Do not interact. Yes, um, don't, don't but, feed the comics. <laughs> but you bring up a good point. You know, we talk about cancer cult. Cancel culture. Okay, yeah. I can say that word. Okay. I mean, are you starting to feel as a comedian that there's certain material that you're like, it's kind of, I'm not sure they're going to like mm. it. So maybe I, maybe I won't explore it or maybe I'll wait for certain venues to explore it. Well, that's something that it was a little different concern because I was working, doing so many private parties and corporates that I knew to work clean when I needed to. So Back then, it was more a question of, is this the appropriate material for the job I've been tasked with? And I never took it as a hardship because I thought, no one's required to pay me. So I can go and talk about my stuff in my way without cursing. And if that's what they want, I don't have a problem with that. But the the cancel culture stuff, I was backstage last year at one of the New York City clubs with a, a comic named Clayton Fletcher, who I've known for years, who's, who's very funny. And there were a bunch of new comics and they were all sitting there and they were all talking about how worried they were that they might say the wrong thing. And mm-hmm. we looked at each other because he, he's been doing it close to 20 years like I have and how when we started, every comic was irreverent. We were all kind of disrespectful because that's what comedy was. It was making fun of things and saying obnoxious stuff. And to me, um, I think what it's changed for me is if I think there's a joke that's going to get some blowback, I have to pause and think, am I willing to take, the, do I think this joke is good enough to take yeah. the hit? Yeah. Just as an, I think we have, in in, um, it's an unfortunate thing. I don't like it. But I think now in public discourse, you have to have that extra step where you think, is this, is this worth taking the hit? And Hopefully, if it is, you'll still say it. But it's not an easy thing to do. Because people are crazy. Yeah. It's never the joke you think is going to be the offensive one either. <laughs> I know. We're, we're not really great judges of that. You know, and sometimes <laughs> I've almost argued with people like, but what about this other thing I said? That's I was just going to say that. You finished? <laughs> what about this thing? You should be mad at this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You remind them of it. You know, it's kind of like the opposite of an Amazon review. Like, well, if you were offended yeah. by that, perhaps you'll also be offended by this. <laughs> Yes, find more things that you should be offended. <laughs> yeah, Uh-oh. but I do think I think you have to lean lean into it and own it. I'll give you a strange example. There's an obnoxious joke I have that would get it would get a laugh and then it would get a groan because people would laugh and then they would think about it and they would groan. And it's not a nice thing to say. I'll cop to that. The joke is on the dating profiles. I notice a lot of the women who are single moms they would say. <laughs> I, I know you're going, 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 go for it. Well, they would say, <laughs> mother of a great son. And I would say, well, if the kid's so great, why did his dad leave? Now, <laughs> you know, it's obnoxious. So they would laugh and then they would groan. And I noticed that if they would laugh and groan while they were groaning, if I just paused and, and got my drink and went like this, they would start laughing again. And I tested that. I did that same weird drinking thing, looking at them a couple of times, and it always worked. And I'm not sure the psychology of it, but I think it helps them feel like, oh, he's being obnoxious and he's not apologizing, so maybe we don't need to feel bad. Right, right. What's also the onus? Like, it's it's almost like, I know what I just said. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. You know? So, you know, I, I guess... 
if you're going to say it, you have to own it. And, you know, by the time it's come out of your mouth, it's too late for you to not. I mean, if you can't, to me, the worst feeling is when you say a joke that you don't even really like. And you'll notice this as you get deeper into your careers that you have jokes that you start off with that are good earners. But then as you get better and more aware of who you are, you replace them. But sometimes you'll have one where you think, I don't like it anymore, but it still does well. Get rid of it as soon as you can, because the first time you say it and they don't laugh, you're going to feel like a, a real drip because you'll think, you know what? I don't even like it. Why am I saying things I don't even like? So, it's you know, true. if you're, if you're going to get it's carried true. out on your shield, you really have to make it because you said something you can stand behind. Yeah. Imagine That's if you have very... merch based on that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Tamir, you and I have had that conversation. I, I used to have this really a horrible joke, one of my first jokes that I had. And I was like, I don't even like doing this joke, but I have to fill this time. I have four yeah. minutes to fill and I have no joke to replace it. And I hated every single time I did that joke. And it, it, it's like the audience can tell that you're not into it. It's kind of like an actor who's just not into the scene they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll happen uh, when you're at that transitional stage where you'll have the, as you get more toward the kind of jokes that are right for you, you still have some of those old ones and it'll be a weird grinding of gears when you go back and forth. But we're, we're all pretty bad when we start because we don't know what we're doing. And the only way you can find out is by failing in public. It's, yep. that's why it's not like a guitar. You can lock someone in a room with a guitar for a couple of months and when they make their debut, they might be pretty good. They might be really good. But stand up, you can talk into the hairbrush in front of the mirror all you want. You, you got to take your lumps. Yep. That's another fun thing to see. The celebrity who on the way out thinks, well, I'll just do stand up. And then you watch them eating it. It's like, <laughs> 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 a couple of specials on Netflix will not name them. But yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, we'll talk so about got- that <laughs> offline. There's a couple yeah. of things yes, I want to yes, throw at. Yes. you stop recording. Yeah. Yes. So- <laughs> We talked about cancel culture and we talked about the worst hecklers. Um, do you remember any, like a really, really awesome audience member, like someone who probably wrote you a check for $1,000 after the show? Some, some, some gesture that they did. Um, well, I think I would remember that if that happened. <laughs> tamir has got high hopes for this audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's uh, not bad. If you're on stage eating it in the back of your mind, you can think, Maybe there's someone in the audience with a check. Just writing, yeah, writing check. <laughs> they're they're well. The closest I've come to that, there have been gigs I've done that were so bad to get through it. I imagined there was someone in back holding up the, the check, like from the the lottery, <laughs> you know, the giant <laughs> check. <laughs> and I just would think that is that's oh that's why I'm suffering. Um, <laughs> I have had um, well the Long Island clubs. One of the things they used to do to get people in on the the Thursday and Sunday nights was they would have people do benefits and fundraisers and they would sell the tickets and raise and have raffles and stuff. A lot of the clubs do that. And, you know, some, some of the benefits are for very sad things. Um, and you can feel good that you gave them a way to raise money. But I, I, I remember one night finishing my show, had a good time, went well, you know, I, you know, Long Island have a bit of a following. So it was, it was, it was overall a good experience. And on the way out, this guy said to me, uh, I just want you to know, um, I'm here with my family. Our mother passed away four months ago, and this is my father's first time out. And I haven't seen him laugh like that in years. And even oh. just, uh, I'm almost getting like a little emotional just saying that. Yeah. It, it caught me so off guard that, you know how we're thinking joke to joke. 
And then you hear something like that and you think, oh, okay, maybe, maybe I am doing something that's got a little bit more potential for good than I was, uh, that I was allowing myself to think. So that, and that has happened a few times. I mean, it's, I've been able to put together shows to raise money for, um, breast cancer charities. And like my mom and sister are both breast cancer survivors. So that one means a lot to me. So, so those things have been pretty cool. Um, I did have an experience where when I was running the set for the dry bar, um, a lot of my act now is, you know, I'm, I don't like to admit it, but I'm over 50 now and the midlife crisis stuff is real. And that's what's been on my mind. And you talk about what's on your mind. And afterward, I was talking to a young woman and she said, you know, you, you're very funny, but you need to change the way you talk about yourself on stage. And, you know, you hear a civilian say that and you're like, the hell do you know? Right. <laughs> I, said, I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, you talk about yourself like you're an old man, but you're not. We don't see you like that. And I thought, oh, she's right. So these jokes are funny, but I'm really not an an 80 year old man. And you know what she said? She said, you will be someday, but you're not right now. So it made me get a little introspective and think, oh, you know, what's really bothering me. It's not that I'm an old decrepit man. It's that I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Now that is a much, it's one thing to talk about your knees hurt, but to talk about I'm afraid that's got some deeper resonance to it. So I had to give her a lot of credit like well, you nice. you you saw something that I didn't know I was doing, so nice. that was pretty heavy. It's like a, like That's magical cool. insight from that audience. I don't yeah. think I've ever had that Tanvir with our drunken crowds. <laughs> no, no, no. And then I, got, I turned I, around. I turned around, and she was gone. <laughs> uh, no, uh, this so one of the questions I have is that so Tanvir and I are complete opposites in this aspect of how mm-hmm. we write jokes. Are you a tactile learner where you write on paper? Or are you a phone person, computer? How do you like to write? Oh, I'm a pen and paper guy. There's there's something about that mind muscle connection that I need. But I I write every morning non comedy stuff. The first thing I do is I have my I pour my caffeine and then I write in a journal. Um, and I don't even go back and read it most of the time. Right. It's just to prepare my thoughts. And I've been doing that about three years. And I. I even have a preference as to which pen, which kind of pen, which kind of pad to make it as simple as possible. So for me, writing jokes is writing down and then scribbling in margins. And then when it's time to turn it into material, eventually it gets entered into the, the laptop and, and you know the files and all that. Um, but for me, it's writing things out almost in stanzas. Like, like I do the bulk writing and then I rewrite it line by line to figure out is there a word in here that needs more? What can I cut out? What am I really trying to say? Because sometimes you'll start off writing about something, and when you get to the end, you realize, oh, it turns out I was talking about something completely different. Mm-hmm. So, but for me, it's a lot of wide margins and doodling. And I mean, if you, you know, you always get nervous if someone were to see your notebook, what kind of unibomber nonsense it would look like with the <laughs> delusional ramblings in it. But yeah, I'm, I, shout, shout out to the um, CVS brand caliber pen. And I'm not, I do not get paid. If I say this, I don't even receive an additional coupon. I go through one of these about, about one a week. 
So, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a, a pen and paper, pencil and paper for a while. I just learned, I just figured out uh, for me, color coding works. So ah, openers okay. have a certain color, the middle part of the jokes, mm-hmm. I mean, and then closers have a certain color. So like my brain knows how to color code. So for me, that's how I started. I've been writing through COVID and I started realizing that color just makes more sense for me to remember my set quicker. So I don't know. That That's good. Um, another thing I used to do is when I would go to try new material, I would have my set list. And then as soon as I came off stage, while it was still fresh in my memory, I would circle everything that I actually got to. And then I had a coding system that if it did well, it was a check. If it did very well, it was a check plus. If it was so-so, it was a plus or minus. And if it got no reaction, it was an X. And then I could go through and, and actually see in front of me how a joke was tracking over time. It's like running data analytics on your own jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you have to. Although I found an old notebook and it had m- many, many weeks of set lists in it. And you know how you write your weird codes for certain bits? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that uh, little shorthand. Yeah. And there was one that kept coming up and I was I thought, I cannot for the life of me figure out what this joke was. And I never figured it out. And it was clearly part of my regular set for a series of weeks. But that, that's the kind of thing, like, you, you know, you, I remember once writing, a woman asked for my phone number, and I gave it to her in the back of a set list. And I thought, she must have thrown this out as soon as she read the set list, where it's all like these gross code words. And this guy thought it was mine. <laughs> what, what is, are, are you a, um, an electronics kind of writer? Or how do you? I, I do. I so for me, my phone is like the where I make my mm. notes. Basically, like the premises or just the thoughts go to my phone, real quick ones. And then when I actually sit down to write, it's on it's on my laptop. Um, but I do have like the notes sections in the phone, and the Apple phone is basically just yeah raw jokes or just something that's kind of half baked. Yeah. But then I move it to to the separate file that is the final joke. Again, no joke is final. It keeps getting better and yeah, better. Yeah, but yeah, I do yeah. have these versions of like draft and then second draft and final and then kind of have that. Um, but it's always a struggle. It's just you start off and you just kind of have everything in place. You think you have everything in place. And then one day you're like, where are my jokes? I don't have any jokes. And then you kind of just yeah. keep keep getting those files back and then make your set this again. And then maybe in a couple of months, I don't have any jokes. So it's 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 it's, it's it's unrelenting, but that's a good problem to have. You never want to be the comic who writes twenty minutes and then they they go like this and they're they're oh, done yeah. thinking. Oh, yeah. But I've I've certainly had that feeling after. I mean, I used to perform almost every night and then going several months without. And I was driving to a gig on Saturday and I'm I was thinking I'm glad this is a long drive because what do I talk about? What is right. do I what am I? And of course you get on stage and everything's fine, but right um, yeah. I also do a lot of jokes on Twitter. I've backed off a little bit recently, but that for me was a good way to, first of all, to burn off puns, to get puns out of my system. Because <laughs> puns on stage is just <laughs> abusive to the audience. Right. Yeah, and, you know, you know, if you do the, your fourth joke in a row that's been greeted with wah, wah, you think, oh, <laughs> you get a lot of sad trombones here. Uh, but t- Twitter for me was a good way to to test out very um, mathematical jokes that if if the a plus b equals c I tweeted one out the other day I'm going to get on my laptop here and just see if I can find it to me it was such a simple joke Let's see if I can find it here okay so I'm sure you're aware that 
Joe Rogan offered to moderate a four-hour debate between Biden and Trump. So I tweeted out breaking, Biden challenges Trump to four-hour nap. (laughs) Now, to me, that's a very A plus B equals C joke. Right. It has 56,000 likes. Wow. (laughs) And even I'm like, it's like, it's an okay joke. I mean, I don't know (laughs) what the momentum was, but... You know, so at least I'm glad that I think it is a somewhat funny joke, but you never know. I mean, I think we torture ourselves sometimes by making these ideas too complicated, but it it usually is say what you have to say as briefly as possible, end on the funny part or the twist, and then shut up. I always tell people, say the funny part last, then stop talking. And that's where with Twitter, because it's words, it's linear, you can really see, oh yeah, that's got to be at that end. Mm At least you know that it's, it's not the, like, this is, oh, I should make all my set like this now, you know? Because you get oh, yeah. some comedians that get start getting popular online, and then every every joke you see after that is the same, same, same. And it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like jokes that were written by a, a computer simulation, but it's the actual person. <laughs> <laughs> I actually remember an open mic in Austin uh comedian actually comes up and he's like today i'm I just i'm just gonna read my tweets and he actually pulls up his phone he reads, reads all of his tweets that was this <laughs> yeah, sounds that sounds is... riveting sounds yeah. like a great <laughs> but you never know i mean like the example i gave you is one that i dashed off and there have been times where i've slaved over the order of words for two hours i hit send and for i did like a <laughs> and then nothing like no reaction whatsoever that's usually how my jokes go yeah i'm familiar with that Strong it's great it's great when you go back and take them down where you're like i can't even look at this i can't even look at this three like joke where it's you know it's you know you have your two friends that like everything i even had someone say to me that they liked something once because no one else had and they felt bad and i thought oh. Oh, let's take, yeah, take this one out like. back and shoot it exactly i got a pity like <laughs> I'll never, I'll never trust that person again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, so we are at the point of the interview where we're getting ready to wrap up. Uh, what other, what projects do you have? I know we're all in COVID. Do you have mm-hmm. anything that you're kind of working on the back burner? Uh, yeah. You know, well, uh, we'd mentioned earlier teaching stand up, and that's something I've been doing for a few years. And I've actually partnered up with now with um, this woman, Felicia Madison, who's a comic and who also works with the Westside Comedy Club in Manhattan. And we did a, a Zoom workshop the other night that, that went really well. And I've been doing one-on-one coaching with comics that is really a blast. Um, and I can't quite say the name now, but one of the newer comics I've been working with is being considered for a dry bar special. So nice. it's it's fun to be to be involved with it from that side of it. So in a different it, kind of pride for you? Absolutely. You know, and I really, you know, I'm, I'm going to miss the in-person classes that we used to do in New York City. But to me, I would watch the graduation shows and realize that, oh, I didn't just show them how to write a bunch of jokes. They really got in touch with some way of expressing something they've wanted to say. It's, it was really cool experience. So, so that's part of my focus now that while we're locked down, I tell people work on your writing now because you know, when things open back up again, you you got to start hitting the streets and get into the mic. So use this time wisely. Use use this isolation and this annoying, terrible time to get some value out of it. 
That's great. That's ab- absolute great feedback for any comedian listening right now. Because mm-hmm. that is, I think once everything starts opening up, it's also going to be like a doggy dog to figure out who's going to get to the mics and yeah. it's going to be who's got the better material. You go up and do a crap set. Okay. They may not want to try you out next time, you know? So there's definitely going to be some, uh, something to say yeah. for new material out there. Yeah. And you can hear the comics who are just doing the same jokes they did before. And you realize that that doesn't work. It That joke doesn't make sense now. Yeah a fair point so our last question that we always ask every guest is when someone googles you what Mm -hmm. do you want your autocomplete to be joe devito oh wow wow it's like um it's like an epitaph but it could have a typo in it (laughs) (laughs) that would be hilarious (laughs) wow if someone typed in well, I'm really am glad that when they type in Joe DeVito now, the next word is not hypnotist, so that, that, that I moved ahead of him. Um, yeah, I think right now your autocomplete is is Joe DeVito related to Danny DeVito. I think that's your. Topic. I was just going to say that that's, yeah. that's probably and, and that's me. I've I've entered it so many times. You, it was you. Yeah, it, yeah. it was me. <laughs> think of the irony that I'm I'm forever in the shadow of a four foot nine inch man. Um, he has my birthday which is hilarious really so yeah when we were growing up my brothers and i would all look up who had each other's birthdays and and my my brothers had some king and i'm like oh that's great i look at mine danny devito i was like well shit i'm sure as as sure as a young woman you were thrilled yes nothing more Uh, than a balding small little man to be yes the penguin i want to be the penguin (laughs) penguin. i think I think I would be very happy if when people typed in Joe DeVito, the next word was comedian. And I think right. that would, I would be, I would consider, um, my, my occupation and my avocation both satisfied by that. If they just typed in Joe DeVito and it came up comedian. That's great. Give, give me three months. And that's good. Oh, <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have have your people work on the have your people. I'm gonna outsource this. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty good to three months. Also, can you write me a check? <laughs> yes. Yeah, sure. There's gonna be multiple levels of outsourcing there. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, Joe, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And uh everybody, please check out his special. It is phenomenal. Let's make it to two million solely because of this podcast. And uh, we'll get a check in the background, right? That's how it works, right, Joe? Oh yeah. The check's already in the check's already in the mail. Oh, the failing mail system. Damn it. (laughs) Damn it. Of course you want to follow on Instagram and Twitter and Twitter rather and Joe DeVito. Follow me on Tinder. (laughs) Oh yeah. Either way, whatever works for you. But by all means, thank you everybody for watching. We'll see y'all next time. All right. That was a lot of fun, right? Yeah, that was great. I I learned a lot about joke writing, learned a lot about the New York comedy scene. It was really good. I think it was fun. Yeah, we made a new new friend. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm always tempted to take his class, but I don't want to pay for it. But let's see if he'll give me a discount. <laughs> well, let's get him to two million with a special, and then yes. see if we can work. We'll work. We'll work on discounting. I'm sure he'll have no problem with that. <laughs> All right. Once again, you definitely want to make sure you check out uh, Joe's special. Uh, Dating over forty is like. Thrift store shopping. I have to say that slowly because it doesn't come out right when I say it fast. You also want to make sure you follow Joe on Instagram and Twitter. He is uh, phenomenal. He's got a, a lot of fun jokes he posts on there, obviously, like he talked about in the episode. But that was great. Yeah. I think we're ready to wrap this and call this a, the end. How do you feel? Yes, let's call it the end. <laughs> 
as always, if you like the show, please subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And if you really liked it, please share it with your friends, family, and enemies. Until next time, I'm Mary Picarazzi. Ten meter rock. Talk to y'all later.